let's call this meeting to order so we can um, get moving. We've got some uh, guests tonight, and I, I apologize. Uh, I do need to um, pull the board into closed session for a minute, um, or probably more like 10 minutes, and then we'll, we'll take public comment after that so that all of our friends that are here to speak will not have to wait until the end of the meeting. So you will have to wait until we get done with our closed session, but you're not going to have to wait several hours. Um, you want to do roll call? Yes, Trustee DeVries. I'm here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Avalada. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Peterson. Here. Trustee Shequin. Here. And Trustee Hernandez is not here today, but we do have a board. All right, thank you. And with that, uh, let's go. We'll see you soon. We're adjourning to closed session for a moment. Um, we're calling this back in order, and I'm going to go right to public comment. Um, thank you all for being here. I've got a list of speakers. Let's see, I've got... Uh, Derek uh, from SCAU 1021, uh, Don Desboin, I believe that is, John Pearson, Ariana Casanova, and Juan Cortez. In any order, come on up. Um, good afternoon. First of all, I'd like to thank the Board of Trustees for giving me the opportunity to speak to you. Um, I'm here on behalf of SEIU 1021 in support of our members that actually work here in this labor movement with you guys. Um, my name is Derek Boutte. I'm an SEIU 1021 executive board member. Um, we're very concerned about the layoff process that's going on here. As you can see, we got a lot of members that's actually here and are very concerned about how they're gonna be able to provide health care to this community. Um, it is very important that we understand the impact that we're putting on this community and the impact that we're putting on the workers here. Um, we need to come up with better solutions. And the solution is not to eliminate individuals out of their jobs, but to come to some sort of common ground where we can work together in a more professional manner. Um, like I said, a lot of individuals here are getting mixed messages. We have the administration saying that, you know, giving out letters of layoffs. At the same time, they're posting open positions, um, re uh, saying that they're going to rehire individuals. So it's a lot of understanding that there's a disconnection that's going on and it's actually causing a lot of more confusion. Um, like I say, it's impacts on our workers here, families, it's impact on the way that this community is gonna operate. And we're all here to make sure that AHS is the healthcare provider of choice in this community. Um, so we're asking for solutions. We're asking to figure out how do we come together and work as a team, not to be separating each other, not to be um, letting the issues that we consider to be issues that um, are individual in issues, we believe that the issues that they can allow us to be impacted with layoffs, they must have an impact on us as fi finding solutions of working together. So we're trying to get you guys to explain to us what is the issue that is causing us to have to go through layoffs. Is there some sort of financial situation that we need to know about? Whatever it is, I think that there is some kind of way that there has to be a solution of working together in a more productive way. Um, whether people realize that this whole community is seeing this. This whole community is going to be aware of what kind of changes are going on. We already are building the hospital to become more of a, a brightening involvement in our community and we all want to be a part of what the changes and the transition that Alameda Health System is going through. So we all are going to be impacted in some sort of way. So we're looking for ways to work together, not to separate, not to make a, a major impact on the workload here, and not be able to, uh, to provide health care coverage to this uh, community in a correct professional manner. And um, we're just looking for solutions, bigger discussions, 
figuring out how we can talk together and find out things that are impacting this uh, institution. So please, let's come together and figure this out. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Don DeBoyne. Um, I am an EVS worker here at Highland. Um, I work the PM shift. Um, I'm going to give you guys some details about how our day goes so here on PM shift. Sometimes there's one housekeeper to a floor. Sometimes there's six to ten beds or more per floor. We have to pull people from other areas to help us clean beds. We're doing turnover as fast as we can with the beds because the demand of the beds. Um, if you if the layoffs go through, the workers we're already overworked. We're already overworked. We don't have enough staff. It's we're going to have more employee. Uh, more employees are going to be affected by this because we're going to be so overworked. Um, also, if the layoffs happen, there's no care for infection control. This it's the patients are going to be affected. The hospital is going to be affected if these layoffs go through. Um, like mentioned before, we we're getting mixed signals. Um, there's like seven positions posted in our department, but then we come in, we get hit with layoffs. So I don't really understand. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to come in and actually work hard when there's so much confusion. So if we can just get some clarity on that, that would be great. Thank you. Thank you very much. My name is Sankanesh Bhatti. I'm a housekeeping. I'm speaking, they say maintenance porters to lay off, but now we're opening the big area, big spot. Without maintenance porters, how housekeeping keeping the area? Because they are fixed first, after that the housekeeping. But this thing, how you guys you looking the area without maintenance porters, housekeeping one floor, or waxing, or they buffing, or they vacuum, that is not the right way. Please, what's going on? John Pearson, uh, ER nurse here at Highland and chapter president for SEAU 10 to 1. We understand that you have uh, budget difficulties. And we understand that you have to shuffle things around and reorganize, and it's really difficult. But the way that these EVS layoffs are happening, just like all the layoffs that have preceded them this year, have been incredibly disorganized. You're hearing people say mixed signals. That's exactly what we're getting. The way that this was initiated by HS for EVS workers was individual people getting sent a letter with their name on it saying your last day is November 2nd or 9th or whatever it said. What isn't happening is sitting down with the union first before individual people are identified to talk about how we can together reduce inefficiencies, reduce waste, and figure out why EVS is disorganized and why work can't get done. I see it when I go to work, and I know my coworkers see it too. There's blood splatters on the walls. There's overflowing trash. I talk to EVS workers, and I hear the trash is piled up every Monday because there's nobody staffed in this, this particular area on the weekend. This is a really common story. Right, where there's a gap in the schedule. I can name a particular worker who, is, who retired and hasn't been replaced. It's been over a year. So when it's his shift, where there were two people, now there's one. And it's been that way for a long time. There are open positions posted, but there's also layoffs at the exact same time. This is a really confusing message to send. So what I will ask, and 
I know I've seen lots of statements that AHS has put out. I've seen statements from executives and individual board members. I know you're people that care. You care about social justice. You care about our patients. So what's in your heart, that's, that's good. But the actual impact you're having in the world right now, the actual impact is lowering the quality of care for our patients, reducing the cleanliness of a place that's already incredibly dirty. If you go to the actual patient care areas, you'll see that. And taking jobs, and specifically benefited jobs, and job security away from a group of workers that is nearly 100% people of color. That's the actual effect you're having in the world. So I ask you to rethink this plan, sit down with us, take these layoffs off the table, and sit down with us and talk to the actual people that do the work and help us figure out together how to reduce uh, the expense of keeping this place clean. Thank you. I am a Captain Alonso, team the one fielder. It's hard to come after that. Um, so, I don't even know where to begin. I am, these are human beings and human lives that provide and do the work that you all so proudly publicize and are here to continue to do and to meet better standards and goals. And the fact that it's not, it's, it is what and how you are doing this that has caused so much friction <laughs> between everyone I'm seeing and everyone that does the work. And it is very difficult for us to move forward and be partners, working relationships. We don't have to be friends. We're going to disagree. But the fact that we do things in a certain way without consideration and, and we don't acknowledge or are fully aware of what's going on on the ground, and I don't mean this like, I mean this literally, right? Some of us, I don't go. I don't know how many how many hours it takes to clean 20, 20 bathroom stalls. There's best practices, right? The school districts have this, and so if there's 15 or 20 bathrooms, and you're supposed to take 15 minutes in one building, but you only have one person doing that, and they're on the night shift alone, they have fallen, they have hurt themselves. We wouldn't know until the next day at X amount of hour. There's safety issues. There's cleanliness issues. I got an email today about someone getting an infectious disease in one of our units. I mean, there's so many issues, and the way that we do this, and the way that we fix this, is that we have to honor and recognize how could we do the work better? Because these folks have, there's a lot of jobs that have not been backfilled. There's jobs that are currently vacant, and then you send a piece of paper with the name on it, for a specific individual who I promise you is not going to get laid off for multiple reasons on our MOU. Because they can bomb, because they might take XYZ, and yet you gave this person, terrified their family and their well-being, instead of saying, let's see who's going to be impacted and then let's notify them. There is a better way to do it. And so I'm asking to please recognize that we are willing to work together and there is no need to do it the way that we're doing it and that we look forward to working together, but please respect that all these workers also live in this community that you serve. And thank you, and I appreciate um, President of the Board for changing the comment, public comment back to the beginning of the meeting instead of the end of the meeting. So thank you, look forward to working with all of you. Thank you, and, and we look forward to working with you as well. I really appreciate hearing your concerns and, and know that we're, we're taking it into account, for sure. So. 
I'm going to come from a different perspective. I uh, mentor in the community. I'm employed here. Could you give me your name real quick. Just Darryl Richardson. Thank you. And what what I found, I've been working the last three months just on issues within our members and our workplace. And one of the biggest issues were uh, layoffs. And what I found, I've unfortunately did not assist enough people, but enough people that got layoffs, they kind of all looked similar. So for some reason, come on, fellas, they look like us. So I work in the community in Oakland for 10 years helping young men of color when these young men were younger to find the job to provide for their families, to do things positive in the community, and then I get a job, which I love, and I think I'm doing things well, and we're doing things well, and then as I get these layoff notices, I get the copies, and I represent our members, a lot of them that laid off look just like this. I can bring you a list, I can bring you the pictures of everyone that got laid off, the majority look like us. I, I just find that to be very peculiar and very odd. And so it just hurts me to work somewhere that I want to represent in our community and do health services in our community. And the same things are happening everywhere else. It's happening with us. And they look like us. And a lot of these gentlemen, they said they don't want to come and talk, or they might not. But they're talking to us every day. And they're calling us at our homes. They're saying, how can you help us? And I say, well, truth of the matter is, I don't lay you off. Like, AHS sent the letter. Like, Daryl Richardson with the union didn't send you the letter, or the steward or in health management. I didn't see the letter. AHS sent you the letter. So somehow we we're able to work in a better system like so many other people talked about. We could probably work these things out. But the way it's working now, it's just not a comfortable work environment. And I, I, I feel their pain. And it, it's, just, it's just frustrating. I just wanted to make sure from a different perspective that's been working for more than 20 years as a mentoring program. I run one in Oakland. And I help over 800 young men. I fight for them to have to finish school and get jobs and then things like this happen. So I just have to explain that. Maybe you guys might not know, but take a look at everyone that got laid off, look at their picture and see their name and then come back next month to say, am I right or am I wrong? I know I'm right because I saw it and I have the records. So you guys should take a look at that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you. Alrighty, so we're back to the regular agenda. Then. Yeah, one more. All right. Oh, we have one more. Oh, we have one more. Hi, we have one more. Uh, my name is Diana Bello, a field representative for SEIU here at Holland, and I'm going to be um, translating for our member here. Good afternoon. My name is Juan Carlos Cortez. I've been an EDS worker for the last 15 years. As a matter of fact, I do the cleaning in this building. Cleanness and housekeeper. Maintenance and housekeeping. La verdad, pues, me parece... I can't believe that an organization as such can be putting us through this type of a situation. Independently, 
y deciden cómo hacerlo. I know that you are the ones that can make the decisions and decide what to do. Y pienso personalmente que esto no fue la forma correcta. And I personally believe that this is not the way, the correct way of doing things. Yeah. Es importante para 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 mi familia y personalmente para mí también. It is important for me and my family. Eh, recibir una noticia como esta es como que te quiten una muela o te operen sin anestesia. To receive a letter as such, it's like going through surgery without anesthesia or getting a tooth pulled. Yeah. Eh, como les digo, es, eh, uh, no me parece la forma adecuada. No saben. Eh, me, bueno, me dio mucha tristeza. Eh, más que todo por mi hijo. Tengo un hijo de 12 años. I am very sad, most likely because I have a child of 12 years, a son. Y él es quien abrió este and he is the one that opened this package. Por orden mía, yo because I told him to, because I was at work. I believe they were insurance papers. Él lee, when he reads it, y me dice, Papá, están quitando el trabajo. He says, Dad, they're taking away your job. Dice, ¿qué vas a hacer? What are you going to do? Yeah. Y me dio mucho más tristeza llegar a mi casa a las 12 de la noche. And it was even sadder to get home at midnight. Y ver a mis dos hijos esperando. And, wait, and to see that both my children were waiting for me at Pre midnight. Preocupados porque ellos saben muy bien que dependemos de ellos worried because they know that we depend on my job. Whoever made the decision, I'm just suggesting the next time, do it in a different way. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thanks. Sure. All right, so let's go back to our uh, regular agenda. I think first item are medical staff reports, and I know a lot of you heard this already today, so. I guess, are you going to hear medical staff reports and then adopt the agenda? Yeah, we'll, we'll do the medical reports, my report, uh, Del Vecchio's, and then we'll, you can you can pull items uh, when we get to the regular agenda. Is that cool? Right. Uh, who's going first? Dr. Ballard? You want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. RMEC <laughs> met last week, and um, we have already presented our credentials and privileges, which were accepted. 
Um, as uh, also with the upcoming go live on in 48 hours and county, uh, we passed several order sets and policies and procedures wrapped around our um, pending EHR transition. The um, the other biggest issue that, that we discussed as an open session was the um, ACGME report, which for those of us, for those of you who aren't familiar, the ACGME is the regulating body for residencies uh, for the U.S. And our internal medicine and general surgery um, programs at this hospital received ACGME citations. The primary focus on those citations was the work hours. Um, and this is a pretty serious thing. It's, I think we've had up to five citations in the last 18 months, all related to this sort of overwork and, and overstress of residents. And in answer to that, uh, some of the earlier citations, a, a dyad multidisciplinary team formed under the leadership of Dr. Tony Bay and um, Nurse McFinnis, and they um, have started working on some of the underlying causes of this. Um, it's actually a phenomenon of how our hospital culture looks at residents. If you want to get down to the root cause, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a process to try to restructure that and reframe that in a way that residents can come to work and feel supported and and level of education will have to happen for the residents too to be able to sort of work within that new world and report accurately and understand what the surveys that they fill out are actually for. So there's a lot of moving parts, but I think we can accomplish it. So the, um, the work is just now starting. The, the level of concern we're at right now is that we can get one higher up disciplinary action by the ACGME, and then the next, I think, level is that we could be asked to have severe remediation and possibly even close the residencies. So it was pointed out multiple times since that happened that if we lose our internal medicine residency, we lose our emergency medicine residency because they have to have a, an internal medicine rotation. Um, so it would have domino effect on a lot of the programs. I, Personally, it would also compromise our ability to maintain level one status um, because research and education is is mandatory for um, level one status with the ACS. That's that was the biggest topic in the open session and has carried on since then. But there was a lot of work being done to try to start to mitigate that. But there's a lot more work to do. Okay, that's got it. Thanks. Are you ready for the go live? As ready as I'll ever be. All right. So, All right. you think the path that uh, is is being uh, walked down regarding this intern issue is, is, is one where we're going to get to the end where we need to be? Well, it's not just interns; it's the entire residency. I mean, sorry, residency. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> I think it's a good start, and I, the the comment I made at the end of sort of all the discussion because it was a very robust discussion, which is which helped me have hope that people take it so seriously and so concerned at our level is that my comment was that yes I think it's really great that we've got administration and med staff and and all of our program directors starting to address these issues 
But what I think we need and what I hope I see from this is not that we, in typical Highland fashion, pull all these people together, put the fire out, then everybody goes back and puts other fires out. I, I hope what we do is that we maintain this group and not only answer concerns and, and address problems, but also build an infrastructure and build, build a practice where residents can not even begin to have these things happen and these concerns in the future. A, more of a, a, a planning, audit, and then restructuring process versus a, oh my gosh, this is happening now, how do we fix it? So, so that kind of thing. Thank you. Trustees, comments, questions? Who's next? I'll be nice. <laughs> Dr. Marzuk. Excuse me. Uh, we also uh, credentialed and privileged uh, uh, that was uh, accepted uh, uh, as well as uh, we approved clinical privileges for optometrists and ophthalmologists uh, on our staff that man the, the long-term care facilities that we have under uh, Alameda hospital. Um, our main issue were, were against Sapphire uh, and getting ready for that and uh, as uh, I think uh, Dr. Lord said we'll be as ready as we'll ever be. It's coming this Saturday and, uh, and we've been gearing for that. That's I, I saw the way some of your charts are kept at Alameda when I was on a um, tour there, and it's all paper and pencil. So I imagine it's a bigger jump for you than. In well, the I think it's probably a bigger jump for San Leandro. Jump at San Leandro. Okay. We uh, are partially paper. Yeah. So, yes, it will be a jump. All right. And that's essentially. Okay. Doctor Ingenio. So I apologize for not having any documentation here, actually, since we're part of the MEC at uh, Highland. But I'll try to get some brief outline of what's going on on a local status to you in the future. The, I think there, uh, the issues are similar to Alameda. Uh, you know, from a physician standpoint, I'm actually not that worried about the EPIC transition because m most of the physicians work at some other facility that uses EPIC. The build that's being used having done the training now in a couple sessions is very similar to the Sutter build where a lot of people are, are doing it. So okay. I think a lot of people can copy and paste even their templates over it ultimately um, for physician, you know, patient care and stuff. So I, I'm not too worried from a physician standpoint, you know, whether the data is going to be transferred over effectively. The transition of the, um, the uh, PAC system, we'll see. I think anything is probably better than the older system that was kept just sort of in limbo. Um, from the Sutter uh, times, which mm. is, is adequate for now, but uh, hopefully the new newer system that uh, Dr. Yasumoto is rolling out at the other facilities will be better. You guys have worked with that. So, I mean, I think from a physician standpoint, the transfer is not going to be that onerous. Um, the, uh, the, the version of Meditech that they actually extended for us to continue using because it's so outdated that uh, wasn't working. Um, we'll ha as long as that data is accessible, I don't think there's going to be a big problem. I, I, you know, our other uh, concerns are related to the uh, rehab trans transition. I think the construction is pretty much done, which is great. Everybody's excited to have those extra beds online, um, and hopefully we can uh, uh, 
keep the census up in an appropriate fashion. Keeping the OR volume is still a concern, which I've, I've mentioned multiple times. Um, trying to engage the other elective uh, physicians to bring elective procedures there, other than our group, <laughs> which tends to be the main volume there. Um, and the uh, we're, we approved the charter of the um, the physician leadership committee at the last meeting, and I think there's still some issues that are wor being worked out. There's no no problems. I don't think that are insurmountable uh, related to having some input in. Uh, the quality issues related to physician performance and locally, so at least issues, quality issues can be uh, discussed and, and and learned from on a local basis. And Dr. Tanvir wants that, in fact mandates it. It's part of the physicians locally being involved in that process, not just everything being done at, at Highland, where I, I, you know, realistically a lot of the physicians aren't going to go to some of those meetings. So, um, but other than that, I think things are, uh, the, oh, I didn't mention in our previous thing, the anesthesia trans transition is complete. Uh, AHS anesthesiologists now are fully staffing the OR, I think as of this week or last week, and that uh, overlap worked well. And Dr. Newmark has, I think, done a great job of, of sending over some top-notch people, and, and that's worked out well. So, great. Yeah, so while you, since you brought it up, so with the rehab, I mean, are we there? Like when's, it, when's the go live for that? So we, we have uh, the rehab. We, we've got quite a bit of work going on right now with the uh, prep for licensing, and so that's the only last component to that. And so with the site visit, and so we're looking, we're targeting right now, uh, December 8th is the date. How exciting. Well, yeah. <laughs> Along with everything else that we have going on, it's super exciting. Yeah, no, it is. It's a, it's a great, uh, it's a good time. There's a lot of work going on with the staff, and we're getting everybody ready and acclimated to the space, and so it'll be, we're welcoming the new space. Cool. All right. Trustees, any other questions or comments? Uh, I would just say, let's not forget to celebrate successes. Yeah. <laughs> this is a big one. Yeah. I, I think we should probably think about doing a tour or something together. Absolutely. No, for sure. We're planning we, an open house event. Yeah. Uh, we have several events that are being planned as part of this whole process. Great. Do we have an early December meeting? Don't we bump the, the Thanksgiving bump, meeting yeah. to early December? Mm -hmm. No, I think you do it at the end of November. End of, end of, would, it, would it make sense to hold that meeting at San Leandro so we could all take a look at the rehab unit first, or would that kill you? No. no. Yeah. Do you want to look at a, a different date? No, I'm just saying, if, if you're about to open in, in December... Yeah, the space will be ready. We can certainly see, accommodate yeah, that. Let's, 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 do our, um, let's do our November meeting in San Leandro. It's time. we got to go back there. We also have to get back to Alameda, hmm. but we'll, we'll talk about that next month. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dr. Bouquet? Uh, to Dr. Zingenu and Marzouk, in QPSC you made comments with regard to uh, the strike event which happened. Um, could you could you reinform the entirety of the board about your opinions about the tenor of those of those days? I think uh, uh, the administration had uh, done an excellent job of, uh, of of not transferring patients, lowering our census. Uh, the strike went very well uh, in terms of staffing, and there, there were no real issues, uh, both from. Uh, uh, staffing and uh, change, and I think it uh, it went very well. 
Dr. Ingenio? I'd echo those sentiments. I mean, with the, the preparation of kind of toning down the operating room for that day, and there were really no issues, at least in my and my uh, the physicians I interacted with you know, on the normal floor work, things were well covered. And that, that'll actually be here for this weekend, I believe, as well, which will be helpful. Some extra staffing, which I've lobbied for, which is great. It turned out to be a secondary gain here, I think, so. All right. In, in follow-up, can you both comment just your personal opinions on the tenor of the nursing staff subsequent to the strike? Just your personal opinions. Uh, you know, I, I think that at least at San Leandro, there, I think the tenor is similar to the tenor here. Some of them are confused about the restaffing issues, um, and you know, I don't know the details of the staffing problems, but I get they certainly I know a lot of them, and so they bounce issues off of me and then you know, there's always two sides to a story so I'm, I'm always trying to learn as Lori will tell you um, sometimes I call her and say well what's the real skinny on this you know um, but um, so I think just communication is it needs to be there directly to the people involved the more of that that you can have and them understanding the logic of why things are being done which most you know I assume and presume make total sense the more that you have, the more involved they are. Similar to the issues that uh, were going on in the emergency department, changes being made without the physician involvement, um, which it can be helpful. I, I, on a labor standpoint, you know, that's out of my purview, but that's that's what I'm hearing. And, and I'm, I was not aware of any any major issues, but I echo Dr. Ingenio's. I mean, communication is very very key in both aspects. Thank you. I guess, uh, my turn, right? Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll be brief, as I usually try to be. Um, it's been a busy summer. Um, <laughs> it's kind of weird. We met in August. Uh, I've, uh, I want to thank the board members that have uh, joined me to meet with uh, a couple of our uh, members of the Board of Supervisors. Um, I also want to uh, thank uh, Trustee Shaquin for presenting uh, the budget along with me and, uh, and Luis while Devecchio was out to the Board of Supervisors, um, or to, to a Board of Supervisor, I should say, because right. uh, actually um, uh, Supervisor Carson had to leave before our, we came on the item, and so it was just uh, Supervisor Chan, but uh, I really feel confident that they um, appreciate the, the collaboration, um, uh, in particular um, with, co with the healthcare services around behavioral health. I think that um, it, although it wasn't on the agenda for Tuesday, um, just due to a timing and a posting issue that the additional 23 million that is part of the budget later that's going to come from behavioral health will be adopted by the Board of Supervisors next week, it's my understanding, so I feel confident moving forward with that in our in our uh, budget. Um, we are, uh, I'm also confident uh, and excited that we're going to be adopting a budget that includes uh, the seismic work at Alameda and we have three members of our board who have agreed to serve on an ad hoc committee with Alameda Healthcare District. Uh, first meeting should be happening this month uh, to talk about what 2030 looks like and to see that we're working really closely in partnership to strategize about uh, keeping that hospital sustainable and, and looking at the needs of the island. Um, and last, I believe we've selected an independent financial uh, um, 
group, I'll just call it group, uh, to help us look at our finances and compare notes with Toyon. Um, and I won't steal your thunder, but we do have a new staffer that's probably going to help out with that a little bit. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you handle that. Uh, so I think it's about, I think that's, that's what I've got. Um, I think we're moving in the right direction, folks. And um, I think that, uh, yeah, let's, let's have a good fall. We've got a big, big thing coming up uh, the day before my birthday this weekend. So yeah, I'm excited. Um, I can't wait to hear about it. So that's all. <laughs> Hopefully it will be a nice birthday gift uh, uh, to you as well. Uh, so a little less brief than you. I'll apologize in advance. Uh, but, but a couple of, uh, uh, I hope, uh, useful and pertinent updates for the board. Good evening, uh, everyone. Good to see you, as always. Um, so my uh, update is usual format. I'll uh, um, just pass by the true metrics, but offering an opportunity for Q&A. Uh, it, it's discussed in fair detail uh, from the quality uh, access and uh, patient experience perspective in QPSC. Uh, the other elements we're still working on, part of which is contingent on uh, budget approval uh, for sustainability and then a few other elements we're finalizing. A uh, few system updates. Uh, uh, really, I just want to share a kind of a mission moment that I think would be helpful always, uh, as you have asked, uh, to kind of really remind us of why we're here and uh, to celebrate, uh, as has been mentioned before, uh, when things are going well. And uh, there's a lot to celebrate uh, that we don't often do, but I want to just spend a moment doing that. Some policy updates as uh, things have been happening on the federal, state, and local level in terms of just general updates. And then finally end with our SAFAR update as we normally do. So, uh, Again, True North uh, Metric Dashboard, you've seen this. This is the first um, month where we're doing FY20. Uh, so some of the data uh, is still, as I mentioned, yet un unresolved uh, uh, in the sustainability bucket as we wait to approve the, um, uh, the budget. Hopefully that'll get done this evening. And then the others are um, uh, there and then just going through the cycles of first months and um, uh, data collection pieces. So if there are any questions about any of this, you get the, the, the report uh, along with the dashboard and hopefully you've had a chance to see that, uh, but I'm happy to entertain any questions you may have. Okay, hearing none. Uh, moving on, yeah. So, Mr. Moment. Um, Actually, oh, I, yes. we heard in QPSC about um, ED to bed, mm -hmm. um, that, about the tremendous work that's going on there. So, I wonder if you'd have that. If I, you want me to sort of reflect some of that uh, dialogue, I, I'd be happy to do the, the best job I can uh, and yell to my uh, uh, colleagues, uh, uh, Dr. Minnie and uh, Janet, who were uh, behind me literally, got my back. Um, this is really, uh, as it was mentioned, the first month of, of this fiscal year. This is a target that we had last year. You'll recall uh, kind of had some uh, uh, highs and lows in this category. Uh, it has been something we've monitored for quite a while, but really worked to get consistency around uh, sources of truth and really uh, capturing the entirety of that uh, cycle time, as uh, I mentioned, from the point of admission to the patient actually getting into a bed. And uh, so uh, this month, we're happy to see, and you, you were able to see very marked uh, improvement uh, from our prior experience, and I'll borrow the, the language of, of, of Janet uh, from earlier. Uh, we are incredibly excited about the improvement that's at least reflected in this one month and data point that is uh, consistent with the trend that we were having at the end of the year, reflective of the throughput work. Uh, but we have high ambition, and we believe that, I mean, we know that there's still room to grow in this space, and we want to keep moving forward, but that notwithstanding, uh, a, a host of uh, collective um, um, 
um, throughput efforts, uh, working with our clinicians, with our care managers, with our uh, nursing staff and others uh, to really uh, improve our performance in this area. It seems to be gelling. Uh, there seems to be some real good traction here, and we hope, as I mentioned, to keep going there. So uh, I want to tip my hat to uh, everyone. This is not, as you may imagine, not just an ED area. Right. It looks at the continuum of the care. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the front door and the back door because our ability to move patients through is contingent on actually getting patients out. Uh, we celebrated, as was noted yesterday, uh, or earlier today, uh, that yesterday we were able to uh, successfully, through the work of uh, local leadership, as well as uh, leaders I already mentioned, to discharge a patient who had been here for 300 days. Wow. Uh, uh, and um, um, I think that was in, uh, well, as I understand, in no short um, uh, order due to persistent uh, work on the part of a lot of interdisciplinary leaders to make sure that we were able to uh, transition this patient to a care setting and a, 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 a post-discharge setting that was appropriate for him uh, at this time, perhaps a little bit earlier, and I know people had hoped to be here soon. So all of that work is really working out, and we hope to continue to see improvement in this area. Um, the throughput committee, just to clarify, I think that it's been in place for about, about a, a little year. over a year now. Mm -hmm. But that's really tremendous work. It, it seems like it, not only is everyone working together, but the, the, the goals, which seemed a little challenging, to say the least, mm -hmm. at the beginning, obviously, um, these this data is showing that, that that's uh, attainable even more than, than anticipated, according to this month, we're beyond the target. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I was really happy to see this, and I think that's great work by staff. Well, thank you for pointing it out. Actually, as we move forward with EPIC, uh, as uh, uh, Dr. Tony mentioned, we're, we hope to have even better uh, data and uh, intelligence to drive some of our practices as it relates to patient uh, uh, transfers and work in our transfer center, as well as, again, further throughput uh, efforts in the organization. So thank you. I'll move on. Um, so uh, I want to read, and if you'll indulge me, a, a letter or a note that we got from a patient. But I will tell you the genesis of this. Um, last Friday, Karen Black, who is one of our directors for Alameda Health Partners, um, happened to be over at San Leandro, made a quick pick stop at a local store, and happened to still have her badge on. Uh, and this guy, so I'll tell you, because it was in a skateboard shop, apparently. Um, the guy walked up to her and said, dude, you work, in, you work for Alameda Health System? And she said, yeah. And, uh, and he went on to um, uh, take the opportunity to sing praises about his experience within the system, and particularly in this case at San Leandro Hospital, as you'll hear me uh, reference in a second. Um, uh, but uh, she asked him if he would be so kind as to send her an email uh, uh, reflecting this, and he did, and um, uh, invited her to share it as he as, he, um, as she thought appropriate. So uh, without disclosing the patient, I'll read um, some of the highlights of his message. Also speaks to collaboration with our partners, so I think some other trustees will appreciate some other aspects of this too. So this uh, gentleman says, I've had insurance for most of my life, uh, but no other insurance I've ever had has treated me as well as Alameda Alliance, and the facilities and staff have helped me at Alameda Health System in multiple locations. All the doctors I've uh, uh, had I have uh, been with, have treated me with compassion, respect, understanding, and great efficient services every single time, every single trip. Even the people on the phone who were always eager to help me out and get you there quickly and efficiently. Uh, one of the many great experiences, of course, starts with the unfortunate feeling of sickness um, and one of those moments where you know you need help pronto. Uh, I was throwing up, hell in the face, and I couldn't keep down any liquids whatsoever. I was miserable. I called my primary doctor, um, who's at another one 
wonderful facility uh, that I've always uh, that has always been extremely helpful, and that's uh, uh, at Tiburcio Vas uh, Vasquez Health Center, a part of our community health care uh, network um, in San Leandro. Uh, they were already booked for the day and wouldn't be able to take me for uh, a couple of days. Uh, he says a sweet woman on the phone recommended that if I were uh, that I, if it was too bad that I should walk to the emergency room at uh, San Leandro Hospital or walk into the emergency room at San Leandro Hospital. Feeling the way I felt, I started to get mildly dizzy uh, from the dehydration and my body was telling me I needed help. So I called my parents to drop me off at the hospital. Upon arrival, I was greeted by a security guard who helped me sign in and made it really easy instantly, relaying the information to the ladies working behind the counter. The waiting room had maybe 10 other people uh, waiting around. I was amazed by the immaculate cleanliness. Uh, the floors, the walls, and the chairs looked like they were freshly, and I don't know what this word was, uh, but he says, uh, the sterilness made me feel so much more safe. Uh, even though it looked uh, like there was a wait, I was called to the front desk quickly and efficiently. The ladies behind the counter made me feel like I truly mattered and like uh, they wanted to help me as quickly as possible. They didn't ask many questions that weren't necessary. I didn't have my insurance card on me, but they quickly reaffirmed that they would handle that and not to worry. Let's just get you better. I was in after only a couple of minutes in the waiting room, uh, taken to the back room where I was examined by nurses who were very efficient and really sympathized with how I was feeling, letting me run back and forth a couple of times to the bathroom while still focusing on just me. I felt really cared for. It was like they put a spotlight on me and everything I was saying uh, was the most important thing to them in that moment. I was then transferred to a room. Uh, they gave me a gown and said the doctor would be in shortly. I put the gown on and moments later, the doctor walked in. I do not remember her name, but she was a taller brunette woman in her 30s. I don't know why, how he knows that. Uh, but she seemed extremely passionate about her job. She was serious and really found uh, check, uh, checking on me physically while discussing my symptoms with a light joke here and there to lighten the mood. Uh, I was having sharp pains in which uh, uh, she was able to uh, quickly diagnose. She kept me comfortable. And after I was ready to be at least uh, released with antibiotics and finishing up the IV, she let me stay a bit extra just to make sure that I was comfortable enough to leave with ease and peace of mind. I've never been so humbled by the generosity and hospitality of workers. They made me feel like I was the only thing that mattered while still servicing customers and I'm sure making them feel like superstars as well. I will always make these hospitals and doctors my go-to. I will never feel discouraged or awkward about going into these facilities because of how well I was treated multiple times. I have been there and will shout it from the mountaintops when friends are looking up their options for insurance and health care. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. These experiences have been life-changing and you will have a lifelong customer. I, I've never been happier with any health care provider and hospital, even when I was on my parents' pricey insurance. Yes, yes. So, there we go. This is the type of endorsement I think you can't, you, money can't buy. Uh, uh, it's randomly selected, and I hope that he is randomly selected uh, uh, for uh, his ability to tell really uh, passionate stories. And I'm really thankful for our care providers and our staff who really uh, enabled him to tell that story. So, and our partners, I would say, as well. So I wanted to share that with you uh, to really make sure we celebrate that things are, are going well and uh, we have a lot of work to do, obviously, uh, uh, and we, we will continue to do that. Um, want to take a brief moment uh, as she uh, <laughs> she looks down to welcome, finally, at long last, our new uh, uh, Chief Financial Officer, Kimberly Miranda. Kimberly came through us. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is fresh off the 
off the assembly line, um, but uh, Kim came to us uh, from northern, uh, further northern uh, uh, California uh, with her work with uh, Dignity Health, uh, and she's been with a lot of other health systems, but, but she was uh, uh, the uh, highly um, uh, selected candidate from a very competitive applicant pool that we did have, and we are extremely uh, thankful to have her join the system, and she's been drinking from the hydrant for now two weeks, almost two weeks. She's still smiling, and you know, I keep checking the parking lot to make sure she shows up. And, uh, <laughs> and fortunately, so far, she has not lost her way. Uh, uh, she knows that she has an incredible uh, Herculean task uh, uh, ahead of her, uh, but she also knows that she enjoys the incredible support of our, our leadership team, uh, the staff that she has and we have in the organization, and most importantly, our trustees and our community partners, because this is some really important work that she'll do. So I would want to take a moment to thank her. And concurrently, as we did in Finance Committee, uh, I saw her earlier. There she is. I want to really uh, thank Ann Metzger for really holding down the fort these last few months. As you know, um, uh, after uh, Nancy Katz uh, bid us adieu, at least on a permanent basis, she's still supporting us on an ad hoc basis. Um, uh, uh, Nancy or Anne really stepped up to really uh, uh, help us to get through a very, as Joe mentioned, um, um, a busy summer, a very, very busy summer, and uh, she has done an amazing job. And so uh, we're fortunate that obviously Anne will continue in her regular role here in supporting Kim, but also supporting the organization. So we really want to thank her as well. Uh, moving right along, on the federal policy side, I, I mean, there's so much going on in Congress and, uh, and, and, and the White House, uh, not the least of which is stuff beyond the healthcare setting, which we won't get into uh, right now, but uh, there's some important stuff, really important stuff happening in D.C., and we want you to know that we're keeping a close eye on it. Some of the things that we're really monitoring closely are things like uh, surprise medical billing legislation, of which we are very supportive uh, and really uh, believe in uh, uh, getting patients out of disputes between uh, providers and insurers. Uh, but we're monitoring kind of how that um, uh, legislation um, um, uh, forms and, and moves. Uh, there's a lot of bills under consideration, some of which have some things like uh, reach setting that are a little bit concerning from a provider perspective, uh, uh, but uh, uh, important and momentum no less. Uh, other things include prescription drug uh, cost legislation, public charge rulemaking of which we talked about in this setting, and uh, just in terms of where we are now, October, there's a lot of stuff that the federal fits fiscal year starts in October. There's a lot of things that are on the concerning side that we want to be mindful of, um, uh, either trying to avoid or in some way uh, redirect, and this is one of them. Uh, I want you to know that our legislative or our um, advocacy entities, including uh, the California Hospital Association, America's Essential Hospitals, the American Hospital Association have uh, submitted uh, amicus brief to the court uh, because absent uh, uh, legal intervention, uh, the new rulemaking around public charge will take effect on October 15th and it presents ominous signs for members of our community uh, with respect to their ability to seek uh, health care now as one of the consideration uh, factors for whether uh, there will be a determination of uh, a person's ability to get um, uh, legal immigrant status if they are considered to be a, uh, a public charge or a charge on the public. Dish cuts, as you know, really impactful to us to the tune of almost $20 million. Uh, that is set to take, take effect on October 1st, so next week. Uh, uh, the House recently, or this week, passed a continuing resolution to uh, keep the uh, government funded through November 21st, I believe is the date, and it included a delay on these dish cuts to give more time for legislation to be approved to um, uh, take effect. That's $4 billion federally, um, I think $300 million in California, and as I mentioned, 200 or 
20 million uh, impact to AHS. And so we're really monitoring that. And then there's some other stuff in terms of outpatient um, uh, prospective payment rules uh, that we're monitoring amongst other things. On the state level, um, uh, you have a really good- I'm sorry, um, can I interrupt you on the sure. dish cuts? Because um, this is going to come up later. We're not, we didn't budget for that, correct? We budgeted for it to happen. Uh, because for absent- uh, The cuts to happen. Yes. Right. So the, the signs are absent in any intervention now, the cuts will happen. The impact yeah. happens to us under a suppl our supplemental payment program, so it's under the uh, GPP program. Right. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> if the House has passed a continuing resolution to extend it, uh, how, how far does it extend it? Just a, a month. Just no, or yeah, a month plus. It's, it's it it's oh, the Senate did pass it. Oh, yeah. So the Senate did take it up today. Senate I haven't did heard it, that and yet. it's uh, November 25th. Yes, thank okay. you. So... So just, yeah, it doesn't Does that impact. mean we can no, take it. a 12th of it uh, and, and say we get that money? Uh, I mean, effectively, yes. I guess it depends on whether what they do as a permanent measure is retroactive. In, in, in many cases, it tends to be. So uh, we're expecting, we're hopeful that the, uh, the final resolution in terms of funding the federal government will actually uh, delay the cuts. Uh, the House did pass a measure before that didn't just delay the cuts. Uh, this first uh, year, it'll be four billion and then the next couple of years is $8 billion. And what they wanted to do was delay or eliminate the actual $4 billion so that, and it, it would impact us over the course of, I think, two years. And so uh, we're hoping that that is what goes through. But until we get clear indication of it, I right. know, it's just- We're not budgeting for it. Right, we're not budgeting for it. And I assume there's a Republican delegation working on the Senate because this affects states, this affects yeah, hospitals in states. red and blue states. There is bipartisan support for uh, the, the, the delays. Uh, it's caught up in the politics. Uh, so uh, a lot of folks yeah. who we work with say we expect that this will actually get resolved. No one ever expected because of politics that it would actually get uh, resolved, unfortunately, before October 1st. Most people ex expect that it will be done by the end of the calendar year, if not shortly thereafter. And we're just hopeful that those prognosticators are actually right, uh, but we can't bank on that until right. the next one occurs. Thanks. But you're right. It's a red and blue issue. It's a bipartisan issue. Okay. Okay. Cool. On the state side, I won't go into a ton of detail. You have a very good uh, report, uh, as usual, from the PACE team about a lot of stuff that happened. The uh, legislature of the state wrapped up on September 13th. Uh, we're in that window of the governor signing off on pieces of legislation or having uh, the ability to veto them before October 13th when they just become automatically become law. Uh, there were some uh, important things that did happen that are important for our community that you know, we want to point out. We've been talking about the governor supporting expanded Medi-Cal coverage for undocumented uh, adults up from the age of 19 to 25, uh, and that that's uh, set to take place. Uh, insurance subsidies for families earning between 400 and 600% of federal poverty level, and uh, state level insurance mandate as uh, you know, it's uh, it's been removed at the federal level and is a source of a, another sort of judicial threat to the ACA overall that's still uh, uh, in, I forget which circuit that is, of, of, of the, uh, uh, the federal circuit, but we're waiting on that. But in the state, um, fortunate to say that we're taking some proactive steps to ensure ongoing coverage and support for people to have insurance and to be able to get care. Uh, two other things I think are important to point out at the state level. One is um, uh, to a point that you were making earlier, um, uh, Trustee DeVries, uh, there was a bill uh, that was um, 
uh, sponsored in the state legislature this year around seismic retrofit and specifically 2030 requirements. Uh, in addition to Alameda Hospital, there are a couple of other hospitals around the state who have not yet to meet the 2030 requirement. And uh, uh, there's some um, um, uh, legislation being considered to see if there are ways to help those organizations out. Uh, it didn't um, uh, get to a vote in the last uh, session, but there is a, uh, I understand there has been a, um, an a agreement to extend that into the 2020 legislative cycle. So in addition to our local work, it'll behoove us to track and uh, monitor what's happening at the state level. Does that have a uh, fiscal component to it, that legislation? Uh, I think the it, will, it would have a fiscal impact. The legislation, I think, as currently drafted, wasn't necessarily around providing support. It was actually looking at uh, the, uh, the continued uh, appropriateness and relevance of the standards relative to care delivery practices. Nice. So it got into questions about, you know, do the seismic laws take into consideration things like you can make a hospital seismically sound, but if the streets are uh, in disrepair and trees are down, uh, can people actually get there? So yeah, you've kept the hospital open, mm -hmm. but can people get there, include staff and patients? Uh, and uh, another question I think was uh, driving it was, if you're in a seismically active environment, would the right thinking be to keep people in place or to get them out? So is the notion of making hospitals short up to a higher level of standard to stay open uh, and, and act, oh, I'm sorry, uh, um, uh, what I'm say, uh, uh, operational during a certain period of time, really the direction you should be going in versus having very active plans to get patients out of those <coughs> settings. So, so it will have a fiscal impact if the uh, thinking uh, switches uh, to that's the direction you want to go in versus uh, the current direction. There are, as you might imagine, some organizations who are, um, let's say, not particularly supportive of that. And there are some considerations around whether those uh, um, I say reconsiderations would apply to certain kinds of hospitals versus others, so rural hospitals versus urban hospitals versus academic medical, or as you say, trauma hospitals and other facilities. So a lot of discussion happening in this space, no real uh, clarity about what it will ultimately be at this point. But we should monitor. monitor. Absolutely. You know, I, I just want to point out on that, I um, I guess I should have also reported, uh, we had a meeting with uh, Senator Skinner, um, and I thought it went well. Uh, and I pointed out to her that the seismic concerns that we have at Alameda uh, are shared by probably 75 hospital systems around the state. Um, it, I didn't realize there was already legislation. Uh, she didn't mention that, but I think that there's... Um, it's early stages, so she may not even be aware of That's that. fine. I think there is uh, support um, from, from her and I think probably from our from our county reps, and, and I bet Assemblymember Bonta, who we're meeting with in October, will agree. <clears throat> I, I would recommend that we, we lobby for legislation that establishes a, a, a fund uh, where the money is dedicated to public safety net hospitals to meet those, those upgrade needs. Um, and for the hospitals that, that serve as a public safety net, even though they're private or Sutter or whatever, that they would get a percentage of that funding based on the percentage of safety net service that they provide. Um, that would be fair. Um, I really think we need to get on this now um, to, to continue um, to make sure that our Alameda portion of our network will be sound in 10 years. And I, I think that we would probably get a lot of support from the other you know, legislative delegations that have hospitals like us in their district. Um, the fiscal support fund. She did, she, you know, she heard that and she was pretty open to doing something that 
that came with the fiscal uh, support. The, the bill was sponsored pretty much by the California Hospital Association. That's correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, obviously, there's you know supporters in the Senate and the Assembly for sure, but yeah. there's also um, a lot of advocates for making sure that all public facilities throughout the state are seismically retrofitted, no matter if it's a school or a hospital or a bank or, That's right. or a theater or whatever. Yeah. There are people who fall for, for very legitimate reasons on both sides of the issue. So, uh, uh, yeah. but it's her point. And also, you know, St. Rose is in the same situation. Mm -hmm. I'm sure somebody member Quirk also, who is, you know, yeah. looking at St. Rose now, because I know he called me at Richard Valle's suggestion to talk about my, my thoughts on St. Rose. He, he thinks um, a lot about St. Rose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that the, at least the East Bay delegation, there's probably a strong you know, voice there for, and, and I mean, the state had a pretty big surplus this past year. Um, they're not printing money like the Warriors, but they're certainly doing okay that they can set some money aside for these retrofits that they're imposing on us. I think we should start the, the ball now. Dr. Ballard. I think the reality is, is when disaster happens, we stop, we, we stop having designations. And I know when you, when you build, when we build community-based trauma systems, we include everybody. We don't just, you know, and, and when I'm talking to the different members of the disaster committee here, you know, it's the, everything's connected. It's like it, having an intact peripheral system is part of the way that the level one trauma centers can respond and take on the acute casualties. So, I mean, I'm happy to talk to whoever to kind of bring that point home, but it's, you know, no. it doesn't make sense to just support certain hospitals and not support all of them because we all we all get we all get this when it happens. Sure, but if the pie is limited, I'm partial <coughs> to the public sector. I get that. <laughs> right, that's in our interest. I, I think the other it, the other thought I have about this is that we should also consider having an advocacy voice around uh, the second part of what you just presented. Mm -hmm. That's the question of uh, what do you do uh, with communities that are landlocked and, and need water to waterlocked in this mm -hmm. case. Mm -hmm. That, that uh, you know, the bigger question is how do you make sure you have care there um, in, a, in a major disaster situation. And um, I think there are options uh, that I've heard uh, that uh, creative options that that maybe aren't supported by um, all the stakeholders uh, that are involved in healthcare. But I think uh, from Alameda Health System's perspective, we ought to consider those options and consider an advocacy position. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and I appreciate all the comments, and I, I, I support the uh, uh, certainly the, uh, the input of the trustees in our, uh, our outreach to uh, elected officials. Uh, full disclosure, and you all know this, I'm on the uh, CHA board, and so I often um, I use that uh, opportunity to, uh, as appropriately so, to reflect the, the needs of our community as uh, articulated by our board and our, our community members as well. To um, that, the point of, that, that um, Director Chukwuri made, uh, could we and, and also to say that I appreciate um, that Terry Lightfoot provides information regularly about what's going on at locally. I wonder if um, that might be expanded a little bit, not to put more work on Terry, but especially with regard to advocacy, where is 
California Hospital Association, what, what are they advocating for? And I, right now, the the, the con, um, excuse me, our assembly and senator um, in a, a well right now to a certain extent. So as things pick up more, I know that some things are on the two-year schedule, of, mm -hmm. like the bill mm -hmm. that you mentioned, the 2030 seismic. There's other bills that are being discussed um, that will address issues around Medi-Cal that are coming from the federal government. Mm -hmm. So I just, that would be helpful to know what before advocating at either at AHS <coughs> or as part of CHA. Uh, be happy to, to get that. We, as members of these organizations, they give us uh, these material, and then we can pass those along to you. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, we we participate. Not we we don't do a lot of uh, other than when we when we participate via these in, individuals do direct lobbying. Uh, um, but we do uh, uh, use the uh, legislative base uh, generally w to talk to our legislators about matters of importance to us and what would be. Uh, appropriate sort of things to support our community so we well, can if you're invited to appear and, and discuss any of these issues certainly with the legislature that would be great work sure Thank yeah you. i want to go a little beyond that though i mean, think to trustee jensen's point that i appreciate the, the updates from terry i appreciate that you're you can advocate through your work with with the board that you're on with csa i i uh, uh, uh sorry cha, CHA. Um, CHA. Yep. I think our board has the ability to look at a piece of legislation and advocate and further develop our relationships with our local delegation because that's far more impactful than the legislative day when everyone shows up and says, hey, listen to my thing. I think like if we go and I can walk across the street to the state building and tell you know, that, hey, this is the bill we're working on. It strengthens our relationship mm -hmm. and it makes the bill more real mm -hmm. when they get to Sacramento and they're dealing with a thousand bills to, yep. to look at. I just, I really, I want to call that out. Like, like use us in that manner um, because we, we have some of those relationships or we'd like to further develop those relationships and this is a, a way to do it to keep AHS on the map. Sure. Not just when there's a labor dispute or when there's a crisis about you know uh, our budget but about long-range thinking and so um, I, I, I I appreciate the uh, the suggestion uh, I think maybe I'll, I'll, I'll take this suggestion and work with you to figure out how best you implement it yeah. uh, because there are a host of things you'll maybe want to be selective about what you oh, sure. uh, you pick uh, but we can work with you uh, in the context of board meetings or whatever other setting is appropriate to pass those along to you so that you can get the will of the board and be able to convey that in a way that's not you yeah. know uh, your individual thing but uh, something you've discussed and yeah. maybe it's something that we make as an agenda item for these meetings uh, uh, for you to do so I'll, I'll follow up with you on Thank that you. but be very happy to do so uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll keep moving here. Uh, so on the local side, um, uh, not so much policy-based, but just to make sure the board knows, you know, we're operating and working at every level with our partners. Um, uh, as was mentioned before, our FY20 budget efforts have been uh, a much more uh, intensive collaborative effort, and I want to extend my thanks as well to our trustees who have been actively involved with the supervisors and uh, other county uh, leaders on uh, specifically our FY20 budget. As you know, we've also uh, been involved closely working predominantly with healthcare services uh, to talk about issues as we've mentioned in behavioral health and uh, our fiscal analysis and our work with uh, Toyon and them uh, understanding contracting processes and figuring out what opportunities we have to shore up uh, some, some real um, vulnerabilities that have been 
I think, identified in those areas, both in terms of contracts as well as uh, rev cycle activities and other uh, activities. Um, I see Dr. Clannon in the room, and I would be remiss if I missed in that our uh, collaboration with uh, her team and the uh, uh, AC3 effort, the Care Connect, Alameda County Care Connect, uh, uh, has been going well, uh, largely through uh, collaboration with Tangerine and, and her team. Uh, uh, but the Social Health Information Exchange, she is live now, and it's a really big thing for our county. And uh, uh, her leadership has been uh, really instrumental, uh, probably uh, key to making that happen. And I think that's really important, not just for us and the county, but also all the other um, uh, social services and other healthcare delivery partners. Uh, uh, we're continuing to support Alameda Point Collaborative and their work around uh, respite and um, uh, um, primary care uh, efforts that they want to uh, provide for predominantly the homeless community on, on, on the island. Uh, uh, so we continue to indicate support there. Uh, we're working with, again, Kathleen and her team, but also healthcare services on uh, the uh, collaboration that the county has with Lifelong on opening up the respite beds at Adeline, which I believe happened on the 23rd. Is that right? Yeah, and we're now starting to work through, and there's been a lot of uh, background work with our care management team on referring patients. Uh, we appreciate the collaboration that a lot of the uh, beds are, are intended to be allocated, or I should say, uh, reserved, at least part right of first refusal, uh, or, uh, or something thereabouts with AHS, so that we can help uh, continue those throughput efforts that were mentioned earlier. So uh, that's been a, a major effort um, that I want to thank them for, and we continue to look at. Uh, with our partners with the Alliance, of which some of you are involved in uh, deeper levels, we've been looking at medical enrollment trends and how that's impacting not just us, but the entirety of the system, uh, or the county, I should say. And so we're, we're uh, watching that. We're working closely with them to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the patients who are assigned to us and continue to do that. We just got a P4P um, uh, payment for the um, uh, work that we did back in 2000. Uh, 18. It takes a while for the uh, results to cycle through, and uh, so uh, we, this is one of Ken's first big checks. Um, uh, so we're, we're continuing to work with him on that, uh, some other um, contracting matters, and uh, continuing to partner in that way. And then within the AHS, uh, you'll probably hear several times, but Sapphire Go Live, I'll turn it over to Mark to give a few more updates in a minute. Uh, budget completion, uh, quality improvement activities. Uh, as you know, we've had some uh, uh, quality uh, challenges in certain areas as it relates to our regulatory uh, activities at uh, uh, Alameda and John George in particular. Uh, labor negotiations continue, and we uh, uh, will share a bit more with you about that later. And then uh, leadership transitions. As you know, we've had a couple at John George. Um, uh, and um, uh, actually within Alameda Health Partners, um, um, uh, Dr. Nick Pernia, who's been our uh, president for a while, had already indicated uh, that he was intending to uh, step down and go back uh, completely to his clinical practice as an orth orthopedic surgeon. And uh, so recently the AHP board voted uh, uh, to allow uh, or to uh, permit Dr. Jamaluddin to be the acting president while we go through the con ongoing consolidation efforts between AHP and, and uh, OCARE as a primary effort and some other efforts underway. Uh, so that's a uh, really good demonstration, I think, of continued collaboration between uh, our entities and our organization to try to find sources of synergy and to move us forward in an aligned manner. So I just want to recognize that. And with that, I just want to uh, uh, give Mark the opportunity to come up uh, and share some uh, Sapphire updates. And as he comes forward, um, hopefully you all haven't seen this yet, but uh, we, we have to show you this video. Um, this is September. 
uh, Sapphire is going live. Sapphire is actually the birthstone for the month of September, yeah. uh, uh, which is part of our uh, 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 method to our madness. But uh, we want you to see this and get a little bit of levity uh, to go with our anxiety and excitement around Sapphire Go Live. So go ahead, please, Dave. <laughs>
provide some quick updates on where we are going into the weekend. So. Really cute. Honestly, I think anything I say at this point is uh, probably anticlimactic uh, to uh, uh, to that. And Terry, to you and your team, thank you so much uh, for the work on this. It was okay. awesome. So yeah. really appreciate it. Um, so a, a couple of things. One of them is we're doing uh, Gemba rounds this morning, and um, we had um, uh, we, we were actually sharing a story. And there's one of our stories that came up in there about a patient that we had. Um, Paula actually uh, shared this from the ambulatory space. A patient that she was seeing, and the patient kept insisting that they'd been seen at our hospital, but she was going through and she couldn't find anything about their medical record. Well, it turned out that they'd been admitted into our ED, that she didn't have access to our ED system. Then they'd been transferred to, I think it was San Leandro Hospital, but I'm not sure, it could have been Alameda. And she didn't have access to that medical record as well. And so by the time she um, actually was able to get the previous uh, patient records, she had to have those faxed over to her. We actually had to reschedule the patient for the next day. And that's all gonna change starting Saturday morning. So I am so excited about that. It's one of the things that was uh, very impactful for me in uh, coming here. I watched the waiting room. I think I shared that with mm -hmm. uh, with you in the past. This is all going to start to change for us uh, this Saturday. So thank you all. You've uh, been involved in this. You helped uh, get us funded for it. We'll talk about budget here in a second. But it uh, definitely was very inspirational to my team uh, to hear that story this morning. Kim, you were actually at the uh, at Gemba. You heard the story as well. So yeah. So. So um, a few things. Uh, first of all, we are in the um, uh, portion where we're doing all kinds of training uh, right now, and we're getting ready for go live. You've seen this slide up here um, uh, multiple times. Mm -hmm. We're actually we're in the process of cutover right now as we speak uh, with what we have going on. We're doing backloading of patients. We're starting conversion processes. Mm -hmm. We're actually live on the scheduling portion um, of the uh, product at this point. Have been for a couple of weeks uh, in that. Uh, go ahead now. Yeah. So a few things uh, to status you on. One of them is our last status report with Epic. We did get a watch uh, on that. And there was four big reasons why we did that. And we've been teetering around that um, a couple of times. As you know, we had a watch um, a few months ago. We came back off a watch. I am assured by my uh, Epic counterparts that going in to go live on a watch, we actually, Archul told me it's amazing that we haven't been on watch more, uh, more often uh, than this. But we obviously don't want to be there. There's four things that uh, we have that, uh, that we've addressed that put us on watch. The first of them is security, and really with security it's around access control and making sure that we have the right people in the right um, job uh, duties. Uh, I think you're aware we have some archaic systems in some of our areas, bringing all of those together. We've had more challenges around that than we had wanted to. We've been working through those. There will actually be a project going on this spring to further clean up those systems. But uh, the good news is we're out of the watch zone on those. I put it in yellow here. Epic's actually given us a green at this uh, point on this particular one. I know there's going to be some bumps as we go live, probably a few more bumps uh, with these uh, processes than we would have if we had a really clean system at this point. What we've done a lot of remediation on this. We've done turbo rooms back at Epic. It's a uh, room that they use to help you get caught up. We've actually been doing logging labs for the last few days here to get caught up, and things are going well on that end. But I do know that we're going to have some access control issues. We're staffed appropriately for that at the command center. Uh, the second thing uh, was more of a housekeeping thing, but it continued to nag us. We had work queues that we didn't have owners assigned to, and Epic was a very work queue-driven uh, process. We have all of those resolved as of this morning uh, when we were on uh, on that. So I guess it, Luis, you and I talked about that. I guess it's just-in-time work queue assignment uh, that we had happen there. So uh, we have that done. 
Uh, Medi-Cal enrollment, we were about a week late in getting our enrollment uh, done on that. We got unofficial word this morning that that's going to be okay mm -hmm. and that we will be able to drop bills on October 1st. So we should mm -hmm. be good there as well. And then lastly, cutover support. We were working around our cutover support and Janet and team, thank you for that. We are ready to go on that. We're actually going to be starting tomorrow with nurses in the in the cutover areas doing official cutover work. Or did they start actually today? So they started today, didn't they? Yes, thank you. What is a cutover? So we have a um, lot of, great, great question. We have a lot of patients, obviously. We've been trying to intentionally manage our census on this, but we have patients where we take an automated load, but the last little bit of the cutover, we have to actually do it manually because we can't uh, do that. So we're putting in things on labs, um, pharmacy information, those sorts of things into the system uh, during that cutover process. So it's making sure it's all there when you go live, so. And actually manually typing some of that stuff in uh, for it as well as the validations. Uh, so, major accomplishments for us. I actually touched uh, on some of those already uh, with you know what we're doing on security. You know, you can see some of the training numbers. The number of training classes that we've had that we have had going on has just been astronomical. We had 52 classes running uh, yesterday alone uh, in uh, in here. So, you know, thousands of people literally have gone through training at this point. We always have a few stragglers that we're working uh, through getting uh, uh, getting on board. I was trading emails with Felicia on a couple of those uh, 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 during the meeting here as we're getting the last few people in on those. We also have, you know, we continue to hire people and have new people come on board. We have to be prepared for those as well uh, with, what we're, with what we have going on. I mentioned the soft go live with the backloads. Um, uh, Richard's team, I uh, mentioned uh, this at uh, one, of, uh, one of the sub uh, board meetings, but Richard's team did a phenomenal job on the uh, post-acute on their backload, actually beat our estimates on how that, uh, that work was going to go significantly uh, with what they did. And we started the go live activation uh, process uh, with with what we have going on uh, in the in the uh, command center, which is down in part of the old hospital in the atrium in the old hospital. You forgot to add Grammy uh, nominated music video. <laughs> you know, Joe, the uh, marketing team spent a lot of time trying to edit me and my lack of dancing out of that video. I did a good so. job. <laughs> I like the way. The was real. Uh, so these are our next steps as we go live. We have a huge list. I did a little bit of a cut and paste to just give you an idea of our cutover steps. I mean, this is blow by blow. This is actually the high level steps. We have hundreds of steps as we do the cutover. We're cutting over 40 interfaces alone um, uh, tomorrow night, and we have to make sure every one of those f interfaces fires up. We've obviously tested them previously, but they fire up accurately with what, we're, uh, with what we have going on. We actually have a go, no-go call at 4 a.m. that a number of people in this room will be on to say, yes, we're ready to go, and, and we uh, flip the switch, or no, we're not. It's possible that we could be running behind slightly in some of our backload processes. We have contingency for that. If all goes right on schedule, um, we intend to go live at 5 a.m. in the morning, which is before our first um, uh, lab draws uh, in the morning. We go into go live. We have a lot of monitoring uh, that we do. We have a host of meetings. If you try to hit all of the meetings that we have, you'd actually be in meetings all day long. Luckily, we don't all have to be in all of those meetings. But we have a host of meetings going on through the day, throughout the day, checking quality, checking various clinical areas, checking our revenue cycle as we, uh, as we go along. And then we obviously have uh, our at the elbow support um, occurring. And we have hundreds of people, both internal to the organization and that we're bringing in externally to help us uh, with that support model. <laughs> I didn't know that. There we go. <laughs>
So lastly, um, you've seen the uh, budget um, uh, month over month uh, here. I actually slid it over to the side. I've been telling you that we're going to be doing catch up on the budget uh, because a lot of this was a spread on how we'd originally anticipated the budget to where the actual uh, spend is, is occurring. The good news is we're still running under budget by uh, approximately $4 million right now. We're hoping to pick up slightly actually on that, but we're at about $4 million uh, under budget. But this month is a big spend uh, month for us, obviously, with all the go-live support that we have uh, going on, all the other activation that we have going on at this point in the project. That's it. That's all. That's it. Any uh, questions? questions for Mark? Are you going to sleep tomorrow night, Al? Uh, I'm going to bed. Actually, I'm going to leave the meeting now, if you'll all excuse me. Um, and I'm going to be going to bed at noon tomorrow, and I'll be back up at 11. And we have a long uh, night and day ahead of us, but mostly well, IST. Job, so, Good. no, thank you. I like your vest. By the way, oh, I was always forgot, uh, Joe, <laughs> in, in honor of your birthday, as well as everybody's support here, we do have vests for everybody, all, all the board members. Everybody else, your vest is tomorrow night when you show up for Go Live. Um, <laughs> Thanks. But we do have um, our best for everybody. Uh, Ronna had said she would help distribute them at the end of the meeting. We have various sizes in here, so grab a vest, and uh, you're part of the honorary support team for us. So. And as I, um, I was talking to Trustee Banerjee uh, uh, earlier, if uh, any board members, you know, obviously, you know, staff may kill me for this, but um, the first couple of days, maybe uh, lay back a little bit, but uh, but maybe like, you know, midweek or otherwise, if you're interested in coming by to kind of see how it's going, get a visual uh, uh, sense of uh, uh, what's going on in the in the facilities, clinics, hospital, whatever, welcome you to do that. I think it would be very nice. Obviously, uh, give staff a chance to thank you uh, personally for setting the wheels in motion Absolutely. for this important effort, but also uh, um, uh, you a chance uh, to thank them and to continue to encourage them because, as we know, as much as we plan and as exciting as been and as much interaction and collaboration we've had across the organization, which I think is absolutely remarkable, uh, we will have some hiccups. Uh, it's just, you know, there's no such thing as a, a seamless go live. Uh, this one, I think uh, we're poised to be as seamless as possible. Uh, but it'll, you know, we know that our role is to continue to reinforce and support people till we get to the other side and they can't remember uh, what it was like before. Uh, uh, and so if you're interested and you have the time, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to Ron and let us know. Uh, we'll be happy to round with you uh, uh, and to make sure you see some things that might be interesting and talk to some people that we might even want to point you to to make sure that they feel thanked and appreciated. So I want to thank you for thank that. Thank you all. And thank you. Thank you. And with that, I'm done. I just want to give you a teaser. Uh, I think you've received a save the date, uh, uh, but our uh, annual employee service awards event is going to be Friday, October 11th. Uh, as many of you as can come, many of you are uh, pretty faithful attendees. It's always a great chance for SAP to really uh, um, um, for us to recognize people uh, who are hitting service milestones, and they very much appreciate your presence there. So I just want to encourage you and invite you to join us then. And with that, I'm happy to entertain questions on this or anything else. Thank you for the indulgence. I know that took a while. All right. Thank you. No, sure. Um, so let's move to, um, oh, committee reports. Thank you. Um, uh, item D1, the QPSC reports for the summer, which include the July and August meeting. I'll give the abbreviated version. Uh, per routine, we uh, did our standard work of approving credentialing and policies and procedures. Uh, as this committee knows, we, we have a standard work item also of having a QPSC chair discussion. In July, we presented two articles. Uh, the first was 
What is the institutional duty of trauma systems to respond to gun violence? The second article was health systems have a role in preventing firearm injury. There was a very robust discussion around uh, gun and gun issues and violence and the obligations of centers such as ours to that. It was a it was a very robust discussion. As always, we move to the med staff reports, and we we I I asked them a standard question: What are your top concerns, Dr. Ballard? Uh, reported her uh, top concerns in order uh, in July were number one, professionalism, number two, trust, uh, number three, wellness. Dr. Ingenue was, had concerns about the nurse staffing vis-a-vis -vis, uh, EPIC, which was number two, and uh, slash Sapphire, and third was his concern of OR volume. Dr. Marzouk was not present in July. We heard a very nice report from Dr. Paul Babaria, the CAO of Ambulatory, in their quality, and of course, it's the quality committee, so we had a deep discussion about quality concerns in our organization vis-a-vis -vis CMS surveying, which has been occurring throughout the summer. In August, um, the QPSC chair discussion uh, really occurred in the wake uh, at this point. Uh, July was uh, a topic that I'd just chosen, but in the wake of Gilroy, El Paso, and Dayton, the gun control and gun uh, violence issues uh, brought forth in July were even more poignant. We had a follow-up discussion on firearms, and two articles were in introduced. The first was firearm-related injury and death in the United States, and uh, the second was physician groups forge action plan against gun violence. We again had a very robust discussion around this. Um, we don't have a resolution as to a plan, but uh, starting off with the dialogue, I think, is, is very important, and we're, we're very lucky to have uh, one of our chiefs of staff being a trauma surgeon who lives this on a, on a, on a, daily, on a daily basis. The med staff reports and the orders of concern were as follows. Dr. Ballard uh, uh, talked about diversity. Uh, she talked about trust, and she talked about Sapphire. Uh, those were her three top concerns. I do want to highlight an issue which the full board wasn't aware of because they're not there, but the QPSC uh, is very aware of this discussion. Dr. Ballard related an incident where one of the Highland Hospital nurses refused to call a transgender patient by their gender identity. We had a remarkable discussion about equity, and that sort of was a leverage point for today's discussion, which I'll in QPSC, which I'll report on you to next month. It was a, it was a, uh, it was a vulnerable discussion that uh, I'm always happy to entertain. Uh, those are the good ones, I think, for our organization. We have, we have, we have extraordinary opportunity, and uh, what we talked about today is we. It seems that we have unity around our, our intentions around equity and equality, and uh, that's a great starting point for us. Uh, but intention is required uh, for us to really achieve what we want to be for ourselves. <coughs> Dr. Um, Ingenue, uh, his two top concerns were Sapphire and Sapphire. He reiterated his concerns around operating volumes. Uh, Dr. Marzouk's number one concern was Sapphire. We're, we're seeing a theme here. And, uh, and his concerns around the transfer process. We, we've, in varying iterations, heard uh, from Jenna McInnes about the, this evolution to a new system admission and transfer center, the SATC. We, uh, I don't know about how, the, how, how, how that sounds, SAPCA, uh, but uh, that is our, our new transfer center, which is, which is getting its legs underneath it right now. Uh, we heard an SBU quality report from behavioral health. At that point, we said goodbye to CAO Dr. Karen Tribble, uh, who gave her last report to the organization. Uh, 
And then last, uh, we had, again, a deep discussion around quality concerns within the organization. I want to give a follow-up. There's been some changing in the reporting, which hopefully, uh, in, in, a, in a good way, um, uh, to help highlight some of our, uh, I'll say, we're, these are vulnerable discussions when we talk about ourselves and our embracement of the quality mission here. Uh, so I, I, I fully invite the, the board members who don't sit on the QPSC to look at these elements within the packet, especially the patient safety and compliance reports. In calendar 2019 to date, uh, we've had around 26 analyses of, of, of core events which have occurred within this organization. This will, if you read the quality packet, I want to highlight these because they are, they are vulnerable discussions for us to have, but I think, as I said before, these are the important ones. To date, we've had five unanticipated mortalities in this organization. We've had three suicides related within this organization. We've had two wrong site surgeries. We've had six attempted suicides within, within our organization, and we've had eight uh, documented episodes of uh, inappropriate sexual contact. The, the, the climate of concern around quality is an important one. I think it's our charge uh, within the Quality Committee. We will continue to do that. Uh, and, and I do want to give kudos to, to the quality team that, that Dr. J and Delvecchio have, have, have built. It's, it, it's a team which is also getting its legs underneath it. They're, they're sort of taking the lid off this organization and, and seeing things that, that we probably haven't seen before. As these data systems start to uncover things, I think they're, they're, we're going to see some things that we don't like, but I think it begins there. And, and, and uh, I, I will say, despite seeing very humbling events like this, I am optimistic that we are pointed in the right direction. <coughs> the, uh, the, the vector at which we get there is, is something that we need to continue to push forward. And like I'll, I'll say that word that we use, it's about intention, how, how we get there. Um, but I, I'm pleased with the discussions which are happening in the Quality Committee, and I hope we continue to have them. Uh, with that, I end my report. Thank you. Trustees, any questions? Comments? Nope. All right. Trustee Peterson. Okay. So first as a chair. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, uh, we we have uh, we rescheduled our meeting to three o'clock uh, before the finance committee. Uh, it went really well, and we actually finished 15 minutes ahead of time. Okay. And uh, our uh, finance chair was so impressed that he actually finished 10 minutes ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, having, having said that, he's, what, he had one meeting go two and a half or three hours over. But he can address that. Um, our external audit for 19 is on schedule. Um, the RFP process for the uh, audit for FY20 is out. Um, uh, we spent a, uh, some time reviewing the uh, compliance dashboard and went through those items. And then we spent an extended uh, discussion around the role of uh, compliance with uh, the rollout of uh, Sapphire and the complexities that are involved in that and uh, the challenges of people accessing information that they should not be accessing and, and the uh, safeguards that are in place. Uh, and I think that's the essence of it. All right, thank you. Great. Finance, I'll uh, try, try my best to be brief. Uh, everything is sort of anticlimactic after the long summer we had <laughs> in the Finance Committee. 
but the last committee, uh, we had a uh, projected end of the year report, um, which showed us uh, at uh, a positive variance on their, our EBITDA number, which is kind of miraculous. I just want to, uh, with all the crisis that we've had around finances and continue to have, quite frankly, uh, it's um, important as a, for me at least as a finance chair to, to be able to trust numbers. And on the accounting side, I think uh, we have uh, you know, a staff on, on top of it um, in terms of the accounting. So, uh, and, and I also want to mention quickly that we wouldn't be at, uh, we wouldn't be on EBITDA if it wasn't for our COO and the probably hundreds and thousands of other people within the organization that uh, moved uh, towards expense savings because that's how we got at uh, yeah. uh, resolving the net patient revenue <coughs> problem that we discovered uh, last uh, May um, or earlier that uh, was reported to us in, in May. Um, the other thing I'll say real quickly is uh, I'll, I'll repeat what uh, our board president uh, uh, mentioned and give a little more information on the uh, retention of a contractor to look at our finances. Uh, I want to thank Trustee Jensen and Trustee Peterson for working with me on that. We uh, did a competitive process. Staff was really helpful too. I should mention uh, that staff was, it was delightful to work with staff on this. Uh, we had a conference call last week and uh, there was a decision actually to split um, the contract in really two phases uh, and sort of move ahead with the first phase, which is really looking at uh, the, uh, the numbers, if you will, the, where we are um, in terms of uh, being able to trust uh, the, the numbers in front of us. And uh, so I think we're on track to engage that um, work uh, I had a conversation with uh, Del Vecchio and Kim. It was our first conversation as sort of a handoff, and uh, Trustee Peterson's agreed to be a liaison with the uh, contractor and um, staff on this. Uh, it's really important for us um, to emphasize the importance of collaboration with staff and also recognize that a finance staff is, <laughs> well, Kim is trying to figure out how to get settled here, it, uh, beyond that, it's, there are a lot of requests for, for information from external parties. So uh, we've asked the contractor to be very sensitive to that, to have a very collaborative approach um, on, on this engagement. And uh, I think the sense I have is like, I'm trusting that that will happen. And We're asking a lot of them in a short period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we'll see, we'll see where we are. It's collaborative. That means we'll if it can't be done, we'll hear from, from our staff as well as our contractors and uh, adapt as we have to. Um, I think that's All right. what I, I, the, the only last comment I'd make is that uh, the, the piece that um, I'm really focused on as chair of the Finance Committee is, uh, I think I have my head wrapped around to some degree the accounting of, of this system, but the, uh, the, the, the I think the piece that's overwhelming for trustees, including myself, uh, and quite frankly for, for all leadership in general, is external uh, realities around revenue. Um, 
what's happening. It came up earlier when we were talking about DISH. Mm -hmm. So to do planning uh, within our budget, a lot of our uh, uh, crisis this summer, I think, was caused by, quite frankly, not knowing what we could trust. And so uh, it says to me that we have got to uh, get better at uh, the analytics, the, um, the finance planning side of this. Um, but we also have to be patient. I think particularly for, for the trustees, we have to be patient with the reality that there, it's just a moving um, set of pieces out there um, that we can't control externally. Now, internally, there's also an issue in that uh, we had a major uh, sort of cultural, as far as I can tell, um, hiccup where we had a contract that hadn't been adjusted for many years and we were leaving a lot of dollars on the table. Now the county's been a good partner with us on this to try to catch up on the behavioral health care, recapturing uh, re some of those dollars that weren't uh, billed uh, in previous years. But nevertheless, it leaves a question that I've heard from several stakeholders within our system about uh, rev wondering if we're really collecting all the revenue that we can collect. So I think there's work to do on that side as well. Uh, and now I'm done. All right, thank you. Any questions or comments? Uh, I, I think uh, uh, going forward it's going to be really important with our partnership with the county as well and, be, and the Healthcare Services Agency and Behavioral Health that uh, we need to be in a, you know, with them at the table so that we don't have surprises at the end. Yeah. I'll second that. Well said. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so I guess it's time for our consent agenda. I know, Steve Jensen, you had you wanted to pull a couple items for discussion. I just want to pull um, item C, E, E, C, C, E, three C, E, three C, E, three E, three E, just for um, general discussion presentation by our COO. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Can I get a uh, motion to second? All in favor? Aye. 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 All right. Great. So then, let's go to E three E. And I know this oh, was presented in finance as well. So you know, I wasn't at finance, right? Yeah. Okay. Seven forty. Okay, so we had a very comprehensive presentation in, uh, in the finance committee. I don't know if it's, if it's I'm sure it was. It is, Louis, it'll be just a minute. Right, I and I took I don't think he's intended to, to do the presentation. No, I was just saying that it was part of the package, yes. and, yeah. and yeah. you had a chance to look at that. Yeah. Um, so essentially, just at a, at a high level, what we've done here is <clears> we, as you, as you recall, we had uh, proceeded in the, in, the, in the form of a construction manager at risk model where we had identified a contractor initially that contractor came back and the dollars uh, were, were significantly higher than we had expected so we went back out and communicated with a with another contractor in this case latent construction who uh, completed or is getting ready to complete uh, for the most part has completed our project at San Leandro where we were very successful in managing and budget. And very successful and on budget uh, and on time on budget and so Again, a great contractor to work with, and so we were able to deliver a very high-quality product. And so uh, we brought them on board. We had them evaluate the, uh, the, the, the construction documents, and so they put together a very comprehensive 
what we call the GMP or the uh, guaranteed maximum price. And so wanted to qualify that, and we spoke a little bit about it at the finance committee. That when we, you know, when you hear the word guaranteed maximum price, it means that oh, that's it, nothing else. Well, there, there, you know, there are some things that we have to consider, and so as part of that process, um, you know, they do have within their GMP, <coughs> they have they have built in a uh, a contingency that is specific for them uh, as it relates to if they missed something that was in the plans and specifications that they just did not account for, then they're on the hook for that because they provided us a guaranteed maximum price. However, there are other things that, recognizing the age and the infrastructure of the facility that are unknown and unless you have x-ray vision or are really you know, tearing things down and opening up walls and going through that very laborious process, uh, there's just unknown issues. So as a result of that, if there are things that happen or that are identified as a result of those activities, we, as part of this process, have identified a owner contingency to make sure that we can account for that and we can uh, ensure the progress of the project is not impacted in a negative way. And so we received the GMP from the contractor. Uh, it was, and I had shared with the, the trustees that it was several million dollars lower than uh, what we had originally experienced from the other contractor. So not a small dollar amount. This was, you know, several million dollars that we were uh, of Delta. So uh, very successful. I know that the timing was, was challenging. I know that there was uh, some concern uh, about, you know, going through this process. But again, being uh, good stewards of our limited resources, I want, you know, we went through this and it certainly paid off as we can see here and we've demonstrated with the, uh, the result of this, of this uh, uh, bid from the contractor. So we broke it down into four segments uh, here. The first one is the GMP, which is for the contract itself. The second component is where we're requesting the approval for all of the fixed furniture and equipment that we need to bring in to support this, largely driven by the kitchen equipment. Remember, this project is a kitchen relocation. And so the existing equipment is way beyond its useful life, and so we want to go ahead and have the approvals to separate that. And the reason we're doing that is, again, customary in construction. We want to owner, furnish, contractor, install equipment so we don't have to pay overhead on some of those things. And then we can also work very closely with uh, the manufacturers and the vendors in that aspect. Uh, and then the last component is uh, the contingency that I just explained uh, earlier, which would be managed and controlled by us, which I would say that I am very pleased to say that in San Leandro, if you recall, we had followed the same process and we had set aside a contingency of about almost a million dollars. We've completed the project and we never tapped into the contingency. So uh, so great work in that regard to the team that's leading, leading the projects. And then the last component is uh, just uh, all of the other miscellaneous costs which are related to the construction management firm, you know, our project management firm that's helping make sure that the project stays on track. That's critical and essential to be the owner's representative and make sure that we're moving things forward. And then there's permits and general administrative costs that we have to work with, OSHPAD and things like that, that we want to account for. So we've provided you a comprehensive list of all of the costs that comprise the entire project budget. So once we have that approval, we can continue to move these efforts forward and not have to have any delays related to coming back for something else. Or so we've captured everything at this point, and we feel very confident, very comfortable that we'll be able to deliver a, a high-quality product. Uh, we'll have the project completed uh, as per our schedule. We're you know staying in alignment with the extension request that was submitted to Ashpat, uh, which has us completing the project by October of 2021. And so. That's what's presented here, and we're we're looking forward to moving uh, this 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 forward after the approval. Should so, by my that? rough math, you're saying that we're gonna get in 
five million under what we thought. It, we, we don't have to use the contingency. Is that what you heard? <laughs> no, I'm not asking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you said several million. I mean, I, I, wasn't it 25 or was it 28? Was it 25 we were estimating? Uh, we were estimating, uh, well, we had budgeted. Uh, we had uh, initially, I believe it was 28 million. 28, we ended up I'm budgeting sorry. 25. Uh, but when you're looking at this. What I, what I look, yeah, sorry. Good. No, no, I was just going to say that if, if you're speaking to the, the delta or the difference of the GMP itself, which is 17 million here, versus what it was with the previous contractor, it was several million more. Yeah. Okay. Great. All in approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Great. Let's go for the kitchen. Nice job. <laughs> yeah. I, I really just think this is exciting. Um, I really do. And, and uh, I'm so glad that it didn't work out with the other contractor. That's got to say, closer, it's like yeah. when you put a bid on a house and you don't get it, and then you get the house you really should have gotten. It's like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really glad. Um, I just think this is a contractor that's really worked well with us, with San Leandro, um, and I just think that's awesome. So, yeah. I agree with you. We should celebrate, like you said. Absolutely. Right. Celebrate. Thank you. Use that yeah. kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I think it's. Uh, do we have anything else to talk about? It's closed session now. Are we done? We have a budget. Let's do the budget. You, you have the rest of you consent. Need a motion about consent. Oh, I thought we did the rest of consent already. Yeah. No, we did. Mm -hmm. We did. Yeah, yeah you're right. You, you moved to move it. I think you, I pulled it in the rest. Yeah, we, 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 we did. We approved the rest. All right, do I have a motion to approve? Motion. Second. Okay, so we reapprove. All in favor? Aye. Uh, <laughs> just to make sure. That's yeah. right. We think you moved just to pull that oh, and then have the discussion. And now, a board right. is, is E4 right. separate, or do we include that? Does that get included? Uh, appointing Eileen. That's in the consent. Okay, so yeah, great. Go for. Now, can we talk about the budget? Yes. All right. So, um, going to the budget. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, so, trustees, uh, the, as you recall, uh, with your suggestion, we embarked on a process where we did a preliminary approval at your uh, August 23rd meeting, and uh, that was contingent on subsequent conversation, of which you've heard a fair amount about uh, this evening, and then to bring back the final budget to you. Um, that final budget, as we had mentioned, was still subject to a few moving parts as we were tidying up things and clarifying our numbers and, as I say, sharpening our pencils and things like that. So uh, no substantive uh, changes in the overall um, um, contours of the budget. and. As you remember, we have this key takeaways. The budget still um, uh, in your documents, and I don't know. I don't think I actually. Oh, I'm sorry. I do have it. Um, so my intention was, in the interest of time, not to go through all of this. I was just going right. to remind you again that the key takeaways: 3.8 percent uh, EBITDA margin. The numbers have changed slightly, uh, as we mentioned. Some of the supplemental. Uh, I'll tell you some of the uh, things that we did to uh, adjust the numbers a little bit. Uh, it's just kind of three major uh, things. Uh, 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 but that, but it still results in a three point. Uh, we're forecasting for the budget a 3.8 percent EBITDA margin. Uh, that allows us to cover our current costs, keep services uh, open over the course of the year, as we talked about, in partnership with the county and other entities um, uh, to drive that. Um, that we're able to meet our debt and capital obligations, including the aforementioned Alameda Hospital upgrade that you just approved. Uh, uh, but that our risk uh, result still resides in the prior year um, liabilities that we have. 
have and that uh, we hope to uh, be able to continue to partner with uh, the board and the county to address those things as they come due. We've kind of put uh, an outside, our best guessment as the, the, the worst case scenario on those, uh, uh, but that is our issue for this year. And then going beyond this year, it is uh, for 2021 and beyond uh, the, um, the replacement for the Medi-Cal waiver, which that's about a $95 million hole for us uh, that we have forecast, uh, absent any intervention, which we believe there will be some intervention. We just don't know what that will be. Okay? And then the budget is largely the same. Three things I'll point out, or actually four things I'll point out for you. One is that um, um, uh, we made a couple of moves in supplemental programs. There's no slide for this that we put in the budget, but just a little uh, kind of summary thing for me. Uh, supplemental programs where some things moved up and some things moved down. Uh, the, in, the net effect, I think, was a couple million dollar improvement on the supplemental uh, dollars that we have uh, forecast in the budget. Uh, those are offset by some things that we elected not to do. Small thing is uh, the delaying the same-day uh, clinic to urgent care remodel. That was about an 83 or $86,000 uh, impact uh, in terms of net revenue, so not a big thing. Uh, as uh, the board knows, with your support, we decided to move away from the benefit restructure, which was basically uh, the plan for us to go into this open enrollment period that co comes up soon and uh, extend more share of cost to our employees. Uh, we elected, given the temporal nature of this and how long this has taken, that that was just not a good thing to do uh, to swing that on people with this uh, period of time with your support. We backed that out, but that then added a, a million four back to the expenses for uh, the current fiscal year. Uh, so a couple of other changes here or there. Uh, but again, uh, the, the net effect is that the budget will be a uh, 3.8 EBITDA margin. I will point out just for the sake of context, in case people are kind of doing apples to apples as I tend to do, and in this case not uh, in a timely enough fashion, our actuals for FY18 or FY19 changed slightly than what they were when you saw them on the August 23rd report. And that's because as we're going through fiscal close and then getting into the audit process, there are different um, uh, accounting transactions that are occurring and our um, budgeting team uh, led quite capably by Helen Tam uh, pulled the most recent numbers because we're always trying to give you the most accurate uh, uh, information we have but that means that it wouldn't line up exactly with what you saw before and I apologize for that because my goal is to kind of keep as much consistency for you as possible and point in fact there's still unaudited numbers until the audit is complete so so it looks uh, like it was favorable right uh, yeah but this is there's still movement uh, so so it was favorable you're right uh, 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 so I don't know if it'll continue to be at that level and I just want to make well, it clear <laughs> well that's my goal and that is our goal I would say I just want to make you aware of that that is not point about what you're approving you're approving the budget uh, and those numbers as I mentioned move slightly the ultimate EBITDA margin stays the same at 3.8 and then remember as I said before the only thing I can guarantee you uh, with the budget is that these numbers will not be what actually happens our expenses will change our revenue will change uh, we uh, uh, work as we did uh, over the course of this year to try to keep those calibrated in a way that we still achieve our target uh, uh, for EBITDA and for operating margin. Uh, and that's what we'll do again this year. Uh, so there lies in our challenge right there. Absolutely. Yep. Well stated. So uh, with that, uh, I'm happy to answer any questions about process or any details that uh, maybe uh, need, warrant more clarification. But our, our hope is that we've produced a, a, um, a reasonable enough uh, projection here that you understand uh, the budget we put forward, that you understand the vulnerabilities uh, associated with it, but that you, it's something you're comfortable supporting and moving forward. Uh, I wonder if the chair would allow me the privilege to make the motion. 
I, absolutely. I'd like to move approval of uh, <laughs> FY 2020 budget, uh, both capital and operating. Second. All right, all in favor? Aye. 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 A little late, but better <laughs> late than never. Yeah. Done. Exactly. Can I extend a hearty thank you on behalf of uh, Helen, who's sitting there very stoically, uh, uh, but she gets to do now the next big part of this, which is to now uh, program this budget in and cascade it down to the organization where we can now uh, uh, drive our accountability efforts and really give clarity to our leaders at that level for what we're trying to achieve and what they can work with their teams to actually implement. Uh, some of that we've obviously been moving forward with, but the others won't. And the last thing I'll say to this point is uh, we are moving expeditiously after Epic Go Live into lessons learned. Uh, there are always things that we can do better, and we uh, want to make sure we uh, uh, capture those as uh, timely as possible. We want to share those back with you. One of the things we think is a best, uh, maybe a better practice, uh, perhaps the best practice, is uh, the approach that you've taken this time, which is that if we can uh, appropriately schedule it, that we might actually ask for your indulgence for doing preliminary budget approvals, giving us time to work with the county after you've kind of nailed something down that really shares with them what good clarity where our our gap is and hopefully uh, pre presents a better fodder for us having a collaborative discussion around how we can partner on addressing that before it comes back to you as a final budget. And we'll capture other things internally as well. Yeah, you kind of read my mind. Um, well, I'm really happy we're at this point. I don't think this changes the, um, the you know, intensity of our need to continue to meet with the county, to continue to explore the, the structural deficit <clears throat> uh, of our reimbursements. I think that, I know as board members, we're gonna continue to meet. And I think uh, I think the budget presentation that Luis gave uh, was, was great. I think we, we've learned some lessons about delivery and about uh, focus. Uh, and I think that we need to continue to do that. And, and I really just wanna applaud the work that you've done on the administrative side with the county's administrative side, and it can't stop, it can't slow down. I think we have to- That actually has to increase, I think. Yeah, I think it has to, at, at least at the same level of intensity. Um, and so- um, Well, I, I would also make the point that this is the right chart to have in front of us because yeah. uh, we passed a balanced budget, but uh, 2021 and 2022 uh, have deficit uh, numbers in them. Yeah. And that's a lot of work we have to do. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I think reports. we're done and we're ready to adjourn to closed session, correct? Yes. Uh, Mike, what are those words I'm supposed to say now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, okay, we're adjourning uh, 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 to closed session where we're going to talk about uh, public employee performance, pending litigation, and labor negotiations. Thanks, folks. Thank you. The board uh, adjourned from closed session at 8.46 and took no action.